living with an attitude of gratitude. But tonight we're going to take a look at uh, a thing that has affected our country called the, God, which the, God, the, the title of the lesson is The Gospel and Prosperity. But in today's world, we've got some called the prosperity gospel. Now, in all that, we're not, tonight we're going to be talking about your bank account, the size of your house, anything else. We are going to be talking about your priorities, your actions, your motives, and your choices. Because the reality of it is, whatever we establish as our priorities in life, everything else will follow. How, what length will you go to to achieve your goals? You know, I was thinking as I was going through the list of all these kind of prosperity guys, I was thinking, you know, maybe the people up here, how many of you heard the term prosperity gospel? Oh, outstanding, more than I thought. So in that, it's really like it's a thing. And I was going through the list, and you, tell me some who the guys you are that are, you think are prosperity gospel preachers. Joel, he's at the top of the list, Joel Osteen. What about some other ones? Kenneth Copeland Ministries, right. What about Oral Roberts, Jim, and, Jim Baker, Bishop Eddie Long, and Mr. Creflo Dollar. Creflo Dollar. We had the privilege of living down in Atlanta for about three years while we were assigned there, and uh, Bishop Eddie Long's church was about 20 minutes from our house, and Creflo Dollar was down there. And then what about Joyce Meyer? Yeah, Joyce Meyer. Patricia White. See, the, the prosperity gospel is not gender-specific. You know, we're going to say that God's going to do something. If we'll do something, you are going to receive by proportion of what you give. It takes a look here, and you look at the first part, it says the debate. Today, many proclaim a new interpretation of the gospel. Let's lock it off right there just for a second. The gospel. Every believer ought to have 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 4 marked in their, in their Bible. When people say, what is the gospel? 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 4. The death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. That's the gospel. That's the good news. When we start adding things onto it, such as prosperity and other type of items, we've now veered off the gospel. Paul gives warnings in Galatians 1, 9 and talks about if anyone else, even angels, preach another gospel, let them be accursed. I say again, let them be cursed. But many times, even well-meaning brothers and sisters will take verses out of context. How many of you have Jeremiah 29 hanging up in your house right there? Yeah, and that's a great verse of scripture. I actually like the way the ESV renders it better than a lot of translations. It says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, Listen to the next couple of words, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. doesn't say anything about I'm going to give you a million dollars. doesn't say you're going to get two boats and a plane. It literally says that I have a plan for your well-being. Well-being can mean more than your physical amount of money in your bank. What about health? What about peace of mind? What about things that we may not always attribute to, as, as Pastor said, our blessings? Anybody here, I mean, I'm not going to ask that because we've got an older crowd. If I were to say, does anybody here have any physical ailments? We would have a very, very long list of what's going on with all that. But in that, I like the way it says welfare. So many times it says, I have plans to prosper you. And we'll, we'll name it and we'll claim it. And that's really what the prosperity gospel is about. I'm going to claim it. I'm going to claim it. If I give $10, God should give me back 100 right? If I'm faithful in my prayers, I should have a Cadillac Outside in my garage, right? Not a Toyota, Randy, a Cadillac. <laughs> so get all that. And this is how a lot of these churches operate. Bishop Eddie Long, his congregation, he talked them into buying him four planes. 
He needed a bigger, faster jet so he could get to Africa, so they could spread the gospel more, take more people. And at the end of it all, they find out he was abusing children on that plane. Creflo Dollar, Jill Wolstein, Creflo never took a dime of money from his church, but he set up a shell company that his church paid into that paid him $1.5 million a year. See, there's a whole lot of things go on with that. If you give more, you'll get more. And the default setting of all the prosperity gospel is quite simply, if your faith is strong enough, you shall get it. Their default setting is always, well, but I didn't get that car I asked for. I'm sorry, brother, sister, your faith's not there. Or they'll flip the script and say, but what sins are in your life that you have not confessed over? They set the game of rules in opposition, and so many people... Fall, faith, fall into that trap that encapsulates them. Unfortunately, this is not new in the annals of Scripture, but this is an American deal that's being transported around the world. Benny Hinn and a lot of our other gentlemen who proclaim this type of stuff, you see them all over Latin America. You see them all the Caribbean. You find them all down in Africa because they want people, you've got people that are looking for something out of life. They're looking for the gospel, but they're promising them material wealth. So now as we dig in here, we got, a lot, we got two weeks to go through this, this section and the other one. Now, normally I hand out little pieces of paper with scripture on it. Tonight I opted out of that deal because the reality of it is this is not one of them phoned in type of lessons this week. There are 17 scripture references and 40 verses, and all of them are important to what we're going to talk about tonight. So let's go ahead and jump in right where it says the focus of the gospel preached in the Bible. Get yourself there, then we're going to come back up to the true-false thing. What was the focus of the gospel that the apostles preached? Did it emphasize the interior life of the believer, holiness, the material prosperity, and health? How many of you actually read Colossians 1, 21 and 22? Outstanding. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, at one point in time, there was enmity between God and man. But because of the gospel, we are no longer at war with God. That's because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's not because of the prosperity gospel. If you've accepted Christ and you follow the gospel, you're no longer at war with God. What did you guys come up with for Colossians 3, 1 for 3? What did it talk about there as far as the believer? Our treasures are to be where? In heaven. Let's define that. What does it actually look like to you? What are your treasures? family. Do you really believe that we can transport our wealth to heaven and make a difference in heaven where the streets are of gold? So it's definitely not your wealth. It's not your IRA. It's not your Roth. It's not any of these things. So treasures have got to be people. That, what about that godly generation of your sons and daughters and grandchildren? Will we not want to see them there? And the world's doing everything it can to keep us from getting them there. So in that, if we're going to store our treasures there, first priority. What does the priority have to be if you're going to help get your family and friends to heaven? You disciple, you got to share with them. You also have to show them what your walk looks like. People have to be so enticed by what they see in you that they want to have that for themselves. If you really want to see your treasure when you get there... You have to put the effort into it. So if that's going to be your priority, what are some of the choices you have to make in life then? 
You cannot dedicate all of your time to material things. You really have to spend your time on something else. When you establish your priorities, when you store, establish the chain of events, it'll establish you how you allocate your time. Now, each and every one of us understand the basics of life. We have to have food. We have to have shelter. We have to have a few other things. But do we need everything we think we have to have? How many lives and how many families have been led down the path of destruction because of in our zeal to try to bless our children, we put them in every sport available, and that's one of my soapbox items, man. If you can find time to get them at every sport going on, when are you going to teach them about Jesus? I mean, you're not going to find Jesus out on the ball diamond. You will find him here. No matter what time the game is on Sunday, they got to be in here or they're not going to hear about it. And that's all of our responsibility, but I was doing a class with my community group and we're going through the book of 1 Thessalonians. And in chapter, chapter 2, Paul really declares that fathers, that is your job, you don't get a pass on teaching your children about Jesus. Thank God for women who step up, but gentlemen, you do not get a pass on that. Teaching them how to throw the ball, work on the car, go fishing, and skin a pheasant or a rabbit is cool, but did you teach them the Ten Commandments? Did you teach them about the only way to heaven? Did you teach them about Acts 4.12, and our no other name in heaven, man, we be saved? So in that, we're going to drill down to establish what the gospel is, because so many people are confused about this. So many good intended people will follow Joyce Meyer Ministries all the time. They'll watch it on TV. They'll look at Benny Hinn. How can you do this and still claim you know the gospel? How can you be a follower of these people and declare you know the gospel? We read the follow there, and it says in Colossians 3, 12 and 13, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and clearly loved, clothe yourself in the following, with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Nowhere does it list there, clothe yourself in fine jewelry, diamonds, two houses, four cars, and a couple boats. It talks about what you're supposed to clothe yourself in. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. So in that, to actually accomplish these things, you're going to have to put the time into it. Not saying you can't make a good living, but saying you're going to have to put some time involved in there. Over on the right-hand column there, it says, Memorize Luke 12, 15. And it says, Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. But yet, what drives our economy? What drives the American? I'm, I'm, not, I'm talking general big picture. Do we not see our, our self-worth at the same level as our net worth? We've had some of our friends from Moldova come and visit us, and the concept of a mini storage doesn't register with them. They can't grab they say, they say, you have so much stuff that you don't use, you pay to put it in a storage locker that you don't go to, so you still have your stuff. It does not register with them. <laughs> it's like, it just doesn't, you know, because in some countries, I'm sure they're all different, but like where we were at, you may have 10 people living in what we would call a six, seven, 700 square foot house because every bit of furniture pulled out to a bed. 
Did any of you couldn't even get a recliner because your chase loungers pulled out into a bed? But yet we have many storages. Think about the concept. How do you explain that in heaven, Pastor? I mean, but <laughs> I. <laughs> well, we all got junk, <laughs> but in that, the thought of that doesn't doesn't always wrap up. So in there, watch out against these things because if it's taking all your time to acquire things, is your priority established right? We drop down there and it says, "What does the Bible say about material goods?" It says, "Since so many ministries speak of prosperity, let's see what the biblical focus is. What does the Bible really say?" about riches and prosperity. Matthew 16, Matthew 6, 19, 21, what does it say? That's store up your treasures in heaven. It also says where you cannot serve two masters. If you try to have two masters, you're going to love one and hate the other, right? I had this discussion not too, about three hours ago with one of my grandchildren. And I won't name the grandchild, but in that Sunday has now become their day to sleep in. It's their day. It's not the day to go to church. It's their day to sleep in because they're busy six other days. So we had that talk about 530 night about getting their priorities straight in life. You know, and hopefully there's some seeds replanted. We'll see if it happens or not. But throughout you have it, how many people have their calendars backwards and they see Sunday as me day, not he day. Sunday is my time. It's me time not realizing that everything's supposed to be accomplished in the first six day, in the, you know, the second through the seventh. The first day is actually Sunday, and that's his day. That's our day to commune with him. It's not our day to sleep till noon. If we need the extra sleep, let's throttle back on Saturday. Get caught up then. I love the Jamaican proverb. It says, you know, because America, we like to work six, seven days a week. Jamaican proverb says, if the rain... On five days, will not fill the bucket. What's the do on the sixth day going to do? Set your lifestyle to what you can accomplish with a certain amount of money. And you keep that Sunday for the family and for the family of God. If you want to receive the blessings of life, get yourself in a New Testament church and enjoy the fellowship. We jump, we're kind of moving kind of fast because there is something I want to get to tonight and spend some time on it. Again, I hope you read all these. When you jump over to the second page, it says, Jesus did not encourage his disciples to seek riches. He warned them against pursuing them. To those who sought his kingdom first, he promised to provide their basic necessities like food and clothing, but he never promised wealth. Can you think of one time in the scriptures where Jesus talked about we need to make sure we've got our 401ks in line. I mean, think, I mean, I didn't, what did he ever talk about? What did Jesus, I mean, he had to eat, he had to have a place to sleep, he had to have all these clothes, but yet he spent his time talking about what? Seek ye first the kingdom of heaven, and then what? His righteousness and things be added on to you. And there's a danger in this. There's a lie in this that sometimes it affects different ministries. And this is where the prosperity gospel gets infected with it. The lie is that if we have more, we can do more. If you will give more, we can accomplish more things. The reality of it is vision will always proceed provision. If you're doing the will of the Lord, 
I can't think of any time when a God-given vision has not found the funding it needs. It may not be there on day one, but if it's a God vision, provision will follow. Now, I'm not saying you don't have money and launch programs, but I'm what saying that sometimes the lie is if we have more, we can do more. The reality is sometimes if we have more, we can waste more. How many of you, when you got all kinds of money in the bank, pay near as close attention to what you're spending at the grocery store? <laughs> I mean, when the checkbook's looking pretty fat, we're not so much worried about the price of the ribeyes, are we? But when we've a little bit lean there, it's getting towards the end of the month for us pensioners. And, you know, it's them odd months where you don't get paid on the third week. It might be the fourth. All at once, it takes a whole new meaning, whether it's $5.99 or $6.99, don't it? What'd you say, Randy? You're looking for bargains? Any coupon people in the house? My wife is a coupon hunting monster. She's a two-for-one, she's a BOGO, and buy one, get one free kind of girl. If you can find it out there, she'll find a way to make it work. <laughs> Just choices. But in that, we have to understand that programs by themselves may do some things, but sustained growth spiritually and numerically in our ministries, in our churches, in our groups, whatever, only comes... Pastor, hold your Bible up because I don't want to hold up my phone. I really left my Bible at home. So in that, that is what will drive numerical growth. I actually felt pretty challenged because I don't remember if it was two weeks ago or three weeks ago, the pastor made a statement about why are we always looking for new programs? Why are we looking for no DVDs and videos? He said about sticking with the Bible. And I was just thinking, I'm getting ready to finish up this, this study on First Thessalonians. I thought about putting in a DVD series. I said, ain't no way. I'm going right back to Second Thessalonians. <laughs> Because in all that, why are we looking for something to entertain us instead of giving us the real word of God? When so many people are convoluted in what they believe, when so many people believe we can accept all this, and the prosperity gospel plays so well to people because it sounds spiritual. If you give more to the Lord, but what did Jesus say about the widow's might? She has given more than What? The rest, but she gave what she had. It's not about the number. It's about the percentages. It's about the sacrifice. It's about the choice, the action of what you're doing, what you have. Luke 2, 12, 15 has got a warning for us there. What should we guard against? That's right. And that's an easy trap to fall into. Does anybody besides me ever fill into that trap where you like, feel like a little bit like you've got to try to keep up with the people around you? I mean, you're living in a certain neighborhood, and maybe you don't want to have that 27-year-old car sitting in the driveway when everybody else has got something a little different. There's going to be a little twinge in there, if we're honest with ourselves, to maybe sometimes to invest more in an, another car that we really have to, our budget says we can. That's human nature. But we don't, that's actually our, when I say human nature, that's not our godly nature. That's our sinful, carnal, human-driven nature that we want to possess what ultimately will possess us. Now think about that for a second. If you find yourself driven to acquire things, and that's, I'm, not, not compl- I'm not beating up on having nice things, but what I'm talking about is here is ultimately, if you go to, to try to achieve to own things, Will they not in turn own you? You buy a house that you can't afford, 
then you're working seven days a week to pay for it. You buy things that you don't. So who owns who? You may be in the house, but who owns who? The mortgage owns you, right? The mortgage comes because you're spending all your time doing it. Because your pyramid of your priorities is out of line, all your time's going to be spent trying to take care of that. You'll find yourself not in church on Sunday and not having devotions around the table and all the cool things that, uh, as families, we need to be. Jesus also warned, number four there, Jesus warned, the worries of life and deceitfulness of wealth choke the word. Think about that. The deceitfulness of life, the worries of it, choke the word. He also said that it's easy for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. I'm sure a lot of you have actually fleshed that out. It talks about the needle gate inside the gate where literally they have to, to get in at night. The camel has to bend down, take all the possessions off to go through type of thing. Hmm? Yeah, I know it doesn't exist, but everybody talks about it, right? Yeah, we, we talk about that. We even taught that in Sunday school, but it actually don't exist. <laughs> they just close the gates at night. So what the metaphor was about, I don't know. But in all that, what it talks about is simply is that sometimes our possessions can be anchors and hinder us. If our possessions hold us back, they anchor us to what? Say it again, Deb. They anchor us to this world if things hold us back. It's hard to give up things sometimes unless your mind is in the right thing when you understand they're not yours. Your caretakers are everything the Lord has blessed you with. They're his to take and do what he wants. He's his to be able to have you distribute and to use for the benefit of his kingdom. If we see our possessions as tools for the kingdom, we see them as ownership by somebody else and us as a caretaker, does that not change the way we look at life and things? If we see whatever we have as tools for the kingdom, how does that change your thought process on things? Yeah, because the rest of these people, they're just bored with me or something. They just won't talk. I'm going I'm to start walking back and looking at him. Hospitality? My house? God gave you a house, and maybe it's got enough space that you can host a community group there for his glory. God has given you this. What if God has equipped you with a really cool ping pong table? Okay. Youth ministry, absolutely. Even older youth can get in there and play <laughs> ping pong and stuff. The point I'm trying to make is that what we have, we have to think of them as tools. Maybe you have a boat. Maybe then you take people out fishing and you tab Bible studies on them. I mean, anything you have can be used for the glory of God. But we have to have the mindset that the gospel is the gospel. Prosperity is not part of the gospel. If you pray harder, give more. Now, there's nothing wrong with giving to the church. We like cheerful givers. I mean, if God blessed you with a boat full of money... Give it to the church. I'm kidding. <laughs> in all that, you, you, you give what you felt led to give. And if you understand that everything comes from the Lord, then you're going to want to do with what will benefit the Lord the most. doesn't mean you don't get to have some things, but it means you also have to have the priorities in line with what you're going to do. Paul never sought prosperity. He learned to be content whatever his circumstances were, whether he had plenty or whether he was in need. He was satisfied just by having clothes on his back and something to, to eat. He warned about the love of money and enslaves, how it enslaves you. 
And he called it in 1 Timothy, the root of all evil, of all kinds of evils. What are you willing to sacrifice to get rich? I mean, it, it's, just, it's just a question. What are you willing to sacrifice? I mean, is it, is it, I think it'd be kind of cool to have a few million dollars, but I'm not going to do what it takes to get it. I mean... If poverty signals a lack of faith, that's number six down here on the second page, how can we explain the fact that Lazarus the beggar said the rich man is presented as an example of a man blessed by God? Poverty is not necessarily a sign of deficient spiritual life. I mean, the scriptures are full of different references with different people different situations. It talks about the rich ones. It talked about those with the fine clothes and how those who maybe weren't as dressed as nice, you know, don't have as much. But what if they're spiritually rich and their net worth is small? Who is the greater in the eyes of the Lord? Huh? The one who's spiritually rich. Because the blessings come from fellowship with him, right? I mean, again, what your, your priorities can be different things in life. But also, what is it that brings you joy and happiness? Does the, does the stuff bring you happiness? Or does the fellowship of people bring you happiness? How many of you see that you actually, how many of you see your family here at church as a joy? Amen. How many, see, uh, how many here in community groups? I'm big on community groups. Okay. For you that maybe aren't in one, talk to me later. We'll find you one. <laughs> in all that, because you're going to find a lot of your blessings come from it. On any given day, we can be on the mountaintop or down in the valley. And money won't buy you out of the valley. It won't get you off the mountaintop sometimes. Even though the rich man says, well, I can rent a helicopter and he'll come get me. But if a crash is on the way up. Okay. In all that, the people that are around you, can elevate you out of the lowest times, and they can buoy you up in the best of times. So find those peoples that can help make you happy, get that fellowship with that body of believers. So in that, the point I want to get to is drawing conclusions. I'm running off the assumption that everybody read all the passages today because there are a bunch of them. We didn't cover every one of them. But after you think about these passages, understand when you take the entire context of the Bible... All 66 books, it talks about a lot of different things. But let's focus on the 27 New Testament where Jesus speaks. What does Jesus tell us to do over and over and over and over again? He doesn't once tell us to go get rich. He tells us to do what? To give, to love, to care. So there's five discussion questions there. I'm just going to have you guys gather up and flesh them out for a few minutes and come back and give us some of what your answers are. And just that first one, if prosperity is so important, why didn't Jesus emphasize it? I mean, he talks about God. He talks about trace the trust. But why didn't he talk about possessions, about acquiring them? So let's take a few minutes, go ahead and gather up and talk about those five points and come back and we'll discuss them.
Okay. Let's go ahead and bring it back in and just let's take a second and kind of share what you guys come up with on some of this stuff. After you had time to look at all the passages above us, meditate on the following. If the prosperity, prosperity gospel is so important, why didn't Jesus and the apostles emphasize it more? What did you guys come up with? Any thoughts there? It's not important. Do you not believe, Phyllis? Correct. But if, do, do we truly believe that Jesus and the apostles would leave out some important detail like that for us? Yes, ma'am. God will supply our spiritual needs, and God and and he, he it talks about the passage there about you know the birds of the air, the flowers, he clothes them, all that. But we have to understand also, some people strong in their faith love the Lord, but yet cancer does take them. I mean, God doesn't promise us that we're going to have a easy life. He doesn't tell us that there won't be no disease in our life. He'll be with us for that inner battle, and he will walk alongside of us. He'll never forsake us or leave us. But in that, if it was really important, I don't think they'd have left it out. So therefore, if they left it out and men inserted it, what does that tell us? It's not of God. <laughs> there you go. Let's keep it simple. We don't got to make it into an eloquent argument. If the apostles and Jesus didn't put it in there, and we believe that the canon is closed, we believe that all 66 books are inerrant from beginning to end, then if man inserted it, then it's the dogma of man. It's the eisegesis of man, not the exegesis of Scripture. We drop down to the second one there, and it says, The New Testament never presents prosperity as a priority or as something to seek. 27 books, is there any reference that we should work twice as hard to get twice as much? Okay, let's look at the evidence then. If the apostles aren't saying it, the 27 books aren't talking about it, why is it that then so many people are willing to follow what men say? Because we're looking for someone to follow. We will follow anybody but the, but the Lord of the truth. So many, how many people like Joe Olson, I mean, what's his church hold down there, Pastor? How much? 42,000. And I was telling the guys up there that... 17,000, they have on Sunday. And when we were in the early years in Jamaica, you go through the city of Mandeville, and every shop has a TV. And at 10 a.m. every day, Joel Olson was on the TV. So he's got millions of people that are drawn to it. But yet, when the, when the hurricane came through and all that, he wasn't going to open the doors let people in. The, two, the New Testament, the third one there says, the New Testament warns against the dangers of materialism. It is impossible to serve God in riches. Riches are temporary, and yet they have entangled and ruined many. But we've talked about it, just even the example Pastor brought up, and some of the other ones. Okay, God has blessed me with a house. How do I use that house to glorify him? With hospitality. If God has blessed you with whatever, you can use it. Everything has to be, if we have our perspectives right, if our priorities are there, everything will hinge on what can we use this for to bring glory into the Lord. Number four there, the emphasis on prosperity can easily become a selfish gospel that appeals to greed to emphasize the material of the spiritual. 
exterior instead of interior. What are some thoughts you guys had on that? Has anybody ever been like really consumed with wanting to acquire something that actually wants to fess up to it? I mean, there was a time when I had to have a new truck so bad I could almost taste it. <laughs> Go ahead. And saved you about $18,000, didn't she? You proudly wear that shirt. And let me guess, you wanted three ninety six in it and all the bells and whistles? That doesn't matter. Okay. <laughs> you still have that shirt? Sounds like a wise decision on your wife there. What are some other things? Okay, <laughs> we'll move on then. As I said, one time I wanted a new truck so bad I could taste it. I actually got it. And the second day I had it, someone hit it in the side. That was God saying, I guess you shouldn't have the new truck right <laughs> Okay, i got to tell you a story. All right, tell me a story. i, I got to tell you a story. I had a brother, oldest brother, died with him. Um, his name was Larry, and his dream was to have a 1969 Ford Mustang Mach 1. And, I mean, that was his dream. And so... He, uh, he got one, and he, I mean, he had a good job, worked for an engineering company, and he was single, and he was, man, he was, he was a catch me out when he had that thing. He's riding around, and it was, it was like a jet, jet on the, had a jet engine in it with four wheels on the ground. That thing was amazing. And so he would just baby that thing, take it, wash it, clean it, take it to the, I mean, he'd go down, he'd go down to the, to the, we used to call it the washo mat downtown, but down south, but we'd go down there and he'd clean that thing up and he'd come home and then he'd rub it down some more, you know, I mean, it just, he, he was terrible about it. He worked at Chicago Bridge and Iron Company on Mud Island in, uh, in, uh, just in the, it's an island in the Mississippi River. If you've ever been down there and seen that pyramid, it sits on the island. Well, it used to be an engineering place was out there, and he parked it out there in front of a bank. He parked it in the middle of the parking lot. I mean, the dead center of the parking lot, as far from any other car as he could, because you know what he didn't want, right? He didn't want somebody to open their door and nick his 1969 Mustang. <laughs> so he's sitting in his office one day, and he had a desk with big windows there, and he's looking out, and there's his Mach 1 sitting out there, and he's watching. He looked up, and he saw the most awful thing he could imagine. A big truck, Mack truck, was coming around a curve in the road out there. The left, the right front tire, wheel and all, came off of the Mack. You know what I'm going to say. Came <laughs> off of the Mack truck, came straight toward his car, hit a parking block, went straight up in the air, and came down and landed dead center of the roof of his 1969 <laughs> Mustang Mach 1. And he had pictures of it, and I mean, he, of course, it totaled it. It, would, it just completely mashed the thing right down to the ground. And so it was just, it was, I mean, the world was over for him and everything like that. And so my dad said, my dad told him, he said, uh, how about that investment? <laughs> so, but anyway, he, you know, insurance covered about 80% of it, but he didn't get another Mach 1. <laughs> And sometimes it happens like that. <laughs> All right. Let's drop down the bottom one there. and says, the Christian life is a mixture of good and hard times. Suffering is part of it. God isn't against prosperity. At times he blesses in abundance, but wealth was never 
what Jesus nor the apostles' main emphasis was. I mean, and I hope that you don't leave here tonight saying I ain't supposed to have anything, take a you know, vow of poverty, all that. It's not what it's about. I'm trying to make us realign our priorities to understand that everything can be used as a tool for the gospel. But there's so many families that have been sacrificed on the altar of capitalism and destroyed them because in our society we honor wealth more than the meek and humble of this world. We find them inferior, delusional, if they really believe that being here on Sundays is more important than working for double time. That's a sad state of our economy, so, or our, our world anyway. So if we drop down here to the bottom part, number 9 and 10, where should we focus our attention on? 2 Corinthians, 4, 2, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17 and 18 tells us simply, we need to put our eyes and our attention on, not on what is temporary, but what is eternal. I like my new truck. I'm sure Faster's brother loved that car, but you're not going to drive it to heaven, are you? There are no highways or byways or bypasses that are going to get you there. As a man is born, he comes into nothing with him, and he leaves with nothing when he leaves. So in all that, we can spend all of our time acquiring things that will be left here, or we can spend our time seeking the things that are eternal and store our treasures up in heaven. Number 10 there says in James 1, 9, 9 and 10 says, The brother in humble circumstances ought to take pride in his high possession, but the one who is rich should take pride in his low position, because he will pass away like a wild flower. I read that one several times, and the reality of it is, be, is that nothing's going with us. It's not going to go with you. So even though you have that stuff now, you will still going to pass away like a flower in the hot sun, and it's not going to go there with you. One of the most encouraging verses in Scripture is Hebrews 13, 5 and 6. And it says, Keep your lives free from the love of money, and be content with what you have, because God has said, Never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, The Lord is my helper, I will not be afraid. And what can man do to me? That in itself could be a whole sermon. What can man do to me? So as you think about that this week, next week we'll be in part two of this. Looking at the gospel and prosperity. Any closing thoughts before we wrap it up? I didn't hear you, Don. We go back to true-false. I blew right past them because I didn't know how much time I was going to have and how far we would get. Okay, the top, of the top three up there. God's will for every believer is to be prosperous and healthy. False. If it was God's will, we'd all have a, two Mercedes, none of us would have a disease, and we'd live forever. Number two there. Poverty is a sign of lack of faith. That is false, but, how many, but that is contrary to the prosperity gospel. The prosperity gospel says if that you do not have things, you do have a lack of faith or you have unrepented sin in your life. What about the third one there? God warns us to guard against greed because there are many other things more important than money. He warns us many times about that throughout the scriptures. Now, we hit the high points tonight. We didn't hit everything on there because, as I said, there were 17... Scripture references in 40 verses. Next week, we'll tie into part two, step eight there. We'll have some more time to drill down on it.